Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life, hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So in today's episode, this is a kind of neuroscience-focused episode on caffeine on the brain. I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a dive into why caffeine keeps you awake, why it's also a performance enhancer, how caffeine interacts with dopamine within the brain um, and alertness and all these things and kind of like what's the dosage that you should be having, why it's good for you and why in general for the most part it's just not bad for you at all. Obviously I will be going into some exceptions of, you know, if it personally makes you feel a certain way then of course you want to be veering away from that but we're going to be talking about kind of how good caffeine is in general for the brain when used properly. So let's get straight into it. So we're talking about caffeine, which is in coffee, but it's also in a lot of things. So sometimes I might say the word coffee as far as like when you're drinking coffee throughout the day, but the active component, the active substance that I will be talking about is caffeine. And there's going to be many ways that you can consume caffeine. There's coffee, there's different teas. People take caffeine capsules, caffeine gels. A lot of athletes will take caffeine gels and things like that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, induce caffeine. Um, it is the most widely consumed psychoactive substance in the world. It promotes wakefulness. It increases alertness. It also enhances dopamine signaling in the brain. It upregulates the D2 and D3 receptors. I'll go into that a little bit further later on. And it's an antagonizer of the adenosine receptor. So that's what I'm going to go into first. How does caffeine keep you awake and keep you alert? Let's break this down. So firstly, let's talk a little bit about the history. So coffee has been around, caffeine has been around for literally thousands of years. And back in the day, before we knew kind of the science behind caffeine on the brain, people would get together in these coffee houses and this is kind of in the 17th century. This is not thousands of years ago, but in the 17th century, people would get together in these coffee houses and they would be there for hours discussing philosophy and politics and it was around that time that they discovered that when they would be drinking coffee or caffeine, they would feel less sleepy, more alert and more energetic. And they could, you know, spend hours and hours discussing all these topics and feeling like really energetic as they drank coffee. In the 1800s is when caffeine was isolated from coffee. So people would consume their caffeine through coffee for the most part or tea. But in the 1800s, it's when they were able to isolate that active component of caffeine out of the coffee. Now, what happens in the brain when you are falling asleep or when you're getting tired or when you're, you know, your energy has been depleted? So within the neuron, within cells, we have something called ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate. Okay. And this is the cell's source of energy. And in this, 
when the ATP gets broken down as you start using energy throughout the day, because you've got a finite amount of this ATP for, for the day, a byproduct of the breakdown of the ATP is something called adenosine. So you've got adenosine triphosphate, which is ATP, but then once that's broken down, you get this product adenosine. And as we start to use up our energy throughout the day, which it's inevitable for everyone. At some point, everyone is going to get a depletion of this ATP. You get this adenosine product after you break down the ATP that's building up in the cells and in the neurons. And then this causes some of this adenosine to exit the cells. And then you're getting this adenosine in the extracellular space. Okay. That's where it can then target receptors on other cells when you get the 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 neurotransmitter or the chemical leaving one cell it's now in this extracellular space and it's it's got this ability to then act upon other cells so this is what's happening here you get this adenosine in the in the extracellular space and then it's able to bind to adenosine receptors on other cells and when it is bound enough in enough quantity, it causes sleepiness. So high levels of adenosine in the brain, in this extracellular space, means that there's been high levels of activity. You've been using up a lot of your energy because there's been a lot of ATP that's been broken down. And that then is kind of a signal that your brain needs to rest. Um, so it causes sleepiness, which then of course leads you to fall asleep so you can get the much needed rest so your brain can start rebuilding this the energy while you're asleep. Okay? So so that's kind of the breakdown of what is happening to cause you to fall asleep, among many other things. This is one of the pathways to lead to sleepiness, but keep in mind I'm talking about one specific pathway. There's many things going on in the brain, okay, which I'm not tapping into today, but this is one of the main things that's going on. It's, of course, adenosine is lowest when you're when you just wake up out of a good sleep and it's the highest before falling asleep and what i mean by good sleep is that if you had a really poor quality sleep really broken sleep you're not getting adequate rest then your body's probably not able to properly you know, build up the energy sources again and, and eliminate or flush out all the adenosine that's left so you might wake up from a shit house sleep feeling like shit and feeling still very sleepy that's because your body hasn't been able to clear the adenosine properly due to a shit sleep now adenosine can act on two separate receptors there's the a1 receptor and there's the a2 receptor so if it activates the a1 receptor which is located on neurons that in general help keep the brain alert and awake, the neuron then becomes less active. So you're kind of reducing activity in those particular neurons. But if it activates the A to A receptor on neurons that normally initiate sleep, it's activating the neuron promoting sleep initiation. So you're getting one that's kind of reducing activity and one that's kind of increasing an action in the other neuron. But both at the same time, along with other you know, neurotransmitters, is going to lead to sleep. Now, this is where your energy reserves build up. You're getting a clearance of the adenosine through proper sleep. Um, and as that clears, along with all these other mechanisms in the sleep cycle, there's almost no adenosine by the time you wake up to be constantly activating these receptors to keep you asleep. Okay. So once the adenosine has been cleared, you're then not going to be having these things acting on these receptors to initiate sleep. So you're going to start feeling more replenished and you're going to start waking up. That's why they also say, if you're waking up every single morning after you've had, you know, seven, eight hours sleep and you're feeling like absolute dog shit, then it's a huge alarm indicator that you're, you've got very poor sleep quality because that should not happen. If you've had adequate 
but hours, like a duration of sleep that would seem good and you're still waking up tired, you need an alarm to get you up and you've got to drag yourself out of bed, then you've got to look into the quality of your sleep, okay? And there's a whole diff- like a whole range of doing this, but if you're really concerned and you're always super, super tired, then it's something that you should be speaking to your GP about, go in for a sleep study, things like that. Because if you're not getting adequate oxygen, if you've got sleep apnea, things like that, that's definitely going to interfere. Now, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm going into too much sleep talk here. So let's get back into the caffeine thing. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Caffeine and adenosine have very similar molecular structure. Okay. And as you know, I've spoken about this a lot, but drugs, many drugs and receptors are promiscuous, meaning that they do more than one thing and they're receptive to more than one agent. Okay. So caffeine, because it's got that similar molecular structure, it can bind into the binding pocket that adenosine binds into. Now, there's a slight difference. Adenosine is a particular shape. When it binds to the pocket, it not only binds, but then it has an action. It activates it. Caffeine, because it's a slightly different similar structure, it binds, but then once it's bound, it doesn't have the ability to create an action. So it can bind, but it can't like click and, you know, and turn over some int- some action that needs to happen. It's just blocking the binding site. Now, if it had a completely different molecular structure, it might not fit into that binding pocket and then you wouldn't get any of this. But because it fits into the pocket, it is preventing the adenosine to bind into the space it's supposed to bind to. And because you're not getting adenosine binding, you're not getting all the activity happening to the neurons and therefore you're not your brain is not able to promote sleepiness, okay? So you're going to stay awake and alert for a bit longer because you've blocked the binding site of adenosine because the caffeine molecular structure is quite similar. Now, this is basically called competing for a binding site, okay? There's only so many binding sites, and if caffeine's already lodged in there, they would have to compete for the binding site, and it's first in best dressed kind of situation here. And like I mentioned at the start of the episode, it is antagonizing the adenosine receptor. So this is why you're feeling more alert. It is a a receptor antagonist, okay? So it's a receptor antagonist. And the time duration of this is roughly two to three hours, um, and that's kind of the time that it takes for your body to then break down that caffeine molecule, clear the block, and then for adenosine to be able to land in that binding pocket. Now, it is different for every single individual. Um, If some people have way more receptors than others, they might fall asleep still a lot easier. I'm going to go into the idea of people that can fall asleep when they have a coffee just before bed and then fall asleep. I will talk about that in a second. But Every single individual is different. So when it comes to caffeine, the tolerance rates between people varies significantly based on many different factors. It could be based on just how your body is set up in general. Some people are just not really tolerant to caffeine. They get really, really jittery, really easy, easily. And then it's also based on your kind of how much caffeine you normally take a day. So if you're someone that will regularly have three to five cups of coffee a day, then of course your body is going to, to an extent, adapt to that versus someone that has like two coffees a week, which blows my mind at the thought, but there are people out there because I'm a big coffee drinker. I'll drink, I'd say as a minimum three coffees a day, but probably let's say up to five coffees a day. If I'm mainly when it's social, I drink more coffee. Love that. Especially, and when I'm at my parents' place, I probably have seven, seven coffees in a day. But yeah, good times.
Now, when we're talking about building up a caffeine tolerance, what happens here is that as you drink more and more caffeine, the brain gets used to you having more caffeine. And so it starts producing more receptors. So your brain actually produces more receptors on the surface of the cells. And when there's more receptors, there's going to be less competition at the binding site. Okay. So if you imagine a field with all these like thousands and thousands of pockets and you've got only a couple of hundred, you know, caffeine molecules, and then a couple of hundred adenosine molecules, they're all going to find a binding site at one point and eventually adenosine is going to take over and, and have its job. Okay. So if you drink caffeine regularly, you're going to find that it's not as effective as maybe the first couple of times that you had caffeine in suppressing sleepiness because you've now created in your brain more receptors for adenosine, which obviously caffeine can bind to as well. So you'd be having to have more caffeine to have a similar effect. And some people just don't want to do that in general. So they don't look at caffeine as something that keeps them awake. I personally am one of those people. I do not find that coffee really keeps me awake by any stretch of the imagination. I find that it gives me a little, like a little, it perks me up, gives me a bit more, you know, up and go. But when it comes to sleepiness, it doesn't work for me as something to help me fall asleep. I mean, help me stay awake, lol. Now, if you were to drink lots of caffeine, lots of coffee, and then all of a sudden stop, go cold turkey, you might feel extra tired for a couple of days because you've got all these extra receptors that normally was created in your brain. Your brain produced all these extra receptors for the adenosine because you've got caffeine blocking it. If you cut out caffeine altogether, then you've got an excess of receptors that are taking in all the adenosine. So you're going to be sleepy, super fatigued, really sluggish, but that doesn't last for too long. The brain is always kind of seeking this like homeostasis kind of situation. So it only lasts for a couple of days then those receptors go away and the brain's like finding its balance again, being like, okay, obviously do not need this many receptors. We're going to kind of get rid of them. It's pretty fascinating what goes down in the brain. And that's kind of known as withdrawal. So that's this fatigue, drowsiness, irritability, that kind of thing. But that subsides relatively quick, quickly. Like when you look at withdrawal to other substances that are quote unquote like addictive, you know, some people say that caffeine is addictive. Other people don't get addictive, addicted at all. But when you compare it to other addictive substances. You're always going to have a withdrawal, but some are obviously significantly more intense than others. So this one's not too bad at all. And it's obviously not as addictive as other stimulants, but for some people it can be addictive for sure. It's this thing where you, you know, feel a need. I can't operate unless I have my morning coffee. I can't function unless I have this. I can't, don't talk to me until I've had my morning coffee. That's kind of, kind of an addiction to an extent, just not as savage as other ones. Now, another thing that happens, and this is why there are side effects of drinking a lot of coffee, is that these receptors for caffeine and for adenosine are also found in the kidneys and found in the heart. So, like I said, there was the A1 receptor and the A2 receptors. Activating the A1 receptors in the heart and the kidney makes them less active. Okay. So you've got less urine production and you've got a slower heart rate. Those are the things that are happening when you're falling asleep. The adenosine is activating the A1 receptor. So you're becoming less active. And then you give these organs a chance to rest when you're sleeping. When you block the A1 receptor with caffeine, then you don't get this slowdown effect. You need to pee more. That's why people, it's a diuretic. People pee more when they have caffeine. And 
your heart races more. So a lot of people report this increased heart rate when they have caffeine. It's this jittery feeling that people report because these receptors are also in the heart. Okay. So you're not getting this like slowing down of the heart rate when you want to have it. You're feeling this jittery thing. And if you're active and doing shit all the time, you're probably less likely to report feeling this way because your blood's pumping, but you're using up that energy. But if you're sitting there, you've just pumped three coffees and you normally have one, you're going to be like, and if you're someone that has anxiety, I've got a couple of friends whose anxiety is very, very high and they can have one coffee maximum. And if their anxiety is bad that day, they don't even bother having a coffee. Again, every individual is very different, but some people with anxiety are fully adapted to having coffee and they're used to it. They love it. But other people are like, fuck that. That makes my heart race way too much. It really makes my anxiety feel worse, even though it's really, I'm just changing like the physical symptoms within my body. I'm increasing uh, one of the physical symptoms of anxiety, which is kind of like a jittery heart. Now it is a safe drink. Okay. If you, if it doesn't make you feel good, don't drink it. Okay. But as far as its effects on the body, as far as you drinking multiple cups of coffee a day, it's safe. Okay. You just want to make sure that the, the only time that I think it's not quote unquote safe or good for you is when it's then interfering with your sleep because sleep is paramount for everything. So when I say it's safe, the caffeine in and of itself, it's actually fine, but you don't want to be having it at all hours of the day because it's going to interrupt your quality of sleep. And it's also going to interrupt your quality of sleep. Even if you are somebody that says, no, nah, I can have a coffee just before bed. It's no problem. Like for you know, if someone's drinking coffee, a lot. Their tolerance for caffeine is very, very high. They could probably have a coffee such as Tyrone, myself, my father. We could have a coffee very close to bedtime and then go to bed and fall asleep. However, a lot of the studies show and a lot of data shows that even then it's still affecting the quality of your sleep. So you might have not have any problems falling asleep, but you're going to have issues with the quality of your sleep and what's going on at nighttime while you're asleep. Okay. So that's the only time that I'm talking about it not being that great for you if it's interfering with your sleep quality. Now let's talk about it as a performance enhancer. So it's got the ability to improve performance. Studies have shown that it can actually increase your exercise capacity for endurance and mid-range exercise. And it's even been shown to improve your performance in higher intensity stuff that goes for roughly between like one minute and five minutes. Caffeine is found to be beneficial then as well. Okay. So you obviously want to be having it maybe like 30, 20, 30 minutes prior to the exercise in order to feel these beneficial effects. But if you're someone that's, you know, done a lot of different sports and who's had the caffeine gels, you might be able to report, yep, I definitely felt a difference with that caffeine gel. It really helped increase my performance. Okay. Reaction time has is also seen to be improved. That's why a lot of people, if they're going to go for a big drive, they'll have a coffee because they're like, I want to stay alert. I want to keep my reaction time good. Um, but the same goes for performance in sports as well. And of course it can improve focus and concentration. Now it also increases, caffeine also increases dopamine receptors. So there was this big thing where people are thinking, does it increase the amount of dopamine in the brain? But it's not doing that. It's actually just increasing the receptors for dopamine. Okay. And it's also enhancing or promoting epinephrine release, which is like adrenaline. Okay. So this is where you're feeling alert. It increases focus. Adrenaline does that. If you are ever going to be 
getting on a stage or doing an exam, this bit of adrenaline, it's actually beneficial to have a little bit of nerves before you perform in something that like that wave, because that is what increases this hyper focused state. So when you are going into an exam, if you're starting to feel a bit nervous, you should be thinking, good, I'm fucking hyper focused. I'm going to be in the zone. Adrenaline does that. Okay. And caffeine helps with this adrenaline with this epinephrine release. Okay. And when I say with dopamine, it increases dopamine receptors, kind of what I was talking about, this increase in receptors. It's not saying that it's going to make more dopamine be released through the brain, but because it's increasing the receptors for dopamine, you're more likely to feel these positive effects of dopamine, which is like your willingness to do something, your get up and go neurotransmitter. Okay. That's why it's good for performance, for alertness, for focus, for all of the above. Now, Let's talk about dose. So again, it's extremely dependent on the individual. If you're somebody that never, ever, ever has coffee, you're probably going to stick to one single shot of coffee a day, and that's going to be good for you. If you're someone that has a lot of coffee, again, you can have as many coffees as you like. But the idea is that you want to kind of have your last coffee around eight, if not more hours before sleep. So there's no chance that it interferes with your sleep quality. Now I am going to put my hand up and say, that's not me. I lately I've been a lot better lately. I've been having my last coffees around midday, but very often, I'm not going to lie. Very often I will have a coffee in the afternoon. I love it. I absolutely love it. But honestly, when I was doing the research for this episode, it's actually made me kind of think twice about how often I'm going to have a coffee in the afternoon, purely because of the effects on sleep quality. It doesn't impact my ability to fall asleep and I always wake up feeling refreshed. But if there's, if there's always ways to improve your sleep quality, I'm going to take it. So I've actually, when I was like doing all the write-up for this episode, I've actually, I myself am willing to tweak my coffee intake a little bit and maybe just make sure that it's in the first half of the day. Um, Another thing, so I was also listening to a few things at Huberman, Huberman Lab, love him so much, great fucking podcast. If you're really into deeper dives of science, then go check out Huberman Lab. I'm sure you've all seen it wherever you listen to your podcast, but he talks about that it's good to have coffee between 90 and 120 minutes after waking up to kind of, you know, allow your body to wake up naturally. And then you have the coffee instead of your body relying on like, bang, this hit of coffee to wake you up. He also states that it can also interfere with kind of your sleep wake cycle. If the first thing that you do in the morning is if you wake up, the only kind of exception to that he talks about is when you wake up and have a coffee just before exercise to use it as a performance enhancer. And then it doesn't have those same effects. Okay. So pretty interesting. But if you can put off coffee for the first hour, which is kind of doable if you're going to wake up a little bit earlier and you pack in a few things in that first hour, see if you can do it. Um, But I totally understand a lot of people are like, not a fucking chance. That is like, I need it. It's my thing. Fine. But maybe, maybe 30 minutes, you know, just push it a little bit. So that way you're allowing your body to, you know, wake up naturally because you also want to ride the natural wave of this like cortisol release, which is high in the morning that you, your body naturally produces you want to kind of get on that wave, get outside, get some sunlight, all that stuff. Now, other benefits of caffeine include um, it makes effort feel less intense. So something that would normally feel like, oh my God, this is so much effort. I'm really struggling. This is so hard. Caffeine takes the edge of that physically and also mentally. And it also kind of 
softens down our pain perception. And this is, again, why it increases performance in athletes or in physical performance in general because people can push harder or go a little bit longer than normal. So it's increasing your performance. Now, it's nothing extreme. It's just just dulling these pain, the pain perception a little bit, okay? So it's, it's just you're seeing these minor benefits in your performance here and there, but it's not some crazy performance enhancer that shouldn't be allowed. Now, it's also neuroprotective, okay? There's a lot of rat and mice model studies that demonstrate that caffeine consumption helps prevent memory loss. It helps prevent neuronal damage. Um, and it helps stave off dementia. And there's also a lot of studies that are, are showing, you know, the, the positive effects of caffeine on the prevention of Parkinson's disease. Now, there's also studies in these rat and mice models that show that caffeine prevents beta amyloid induced cognitive deficits in mice. Now, I've spoken about beta amyloid before, but it's basically these like clusters that form in the brain that interfere with a lot of processes within the brain and in neurodegenerative diseases. Okay. So if you're preventing these beta amyloid aggregations in the brain, then that's a very good thing for neurodegeneration or to stave off neurodegeneration. And then there's other animal model studies that have shown that chronic caffeine consumption can prevent memory disturbances and can prevent memory decline. Now, we also have some promising studies with humans that show that caffeine can be neuroprotective, but we just still need obviously more data, more evidence. Well, when you're doing studies, it's so much easier to do a study on rat and mice models because A, the ethics around it, obviously it's easier to do studies on rat and mice models. B, it's, it's way more controlled, but also keep in mind, I know that humans are not rats and mice, we are different. There's a lot of studies where there's a massive crossover that what you see in a rat and mice model is many times you then see it repeated in a human model. Not in every time, obviously not. There's some things that seem super successful in rats and mice and then you bring the study over to humans and it's just not as clear, it's not as obvious, but a lot of the time that is the case. There's a lot of similarities between how the human and the rat and mice brain work for a lot of things. So that's why we do studies on rats and mice. So there was this study that was published in PubMed over a 21-year follow-up period, and they found that coffee drinkers had lower rates of dementia and Alzheimer's disease later on in life, even after they adjusted for factors such as demographic, lifestyle, vascular, you know, all kind of vascular health factors and depressive symptoms as well. So after they've adjusted for these things, they still found a significant difference. And those people that drank between three and five coffees per day had the lowest risk out of the entire group. So there's definitely evidence out there, decent evidence out there. But of course, we need stronger studies. We need more studies. We need more data to be like, yep, definitively, this is the thing. Something that's pretty clear is that it's safe. It's definitely not bad for you. Um, a lot of people are like, I need to quit caffeine. I need to quit. Like, yeah, for sure. If it doesn't like sit right, if you don't like the feeling of it, for sure. But is it bad for you? Absolutely not. As far as the data goes. No, it's not bad for you. Go for gold. Just make sure it's not interfering with your sleep. Then you, you're good to go. Okay. Um, now, when we're talking about Parkinson's disease, this is where we also need more studies. But like I said, caffeine does not necessarily increase dopamine levels, but instead it it can increase the availability of receptors for dopamine. And given that dopamine 
And Parkinson's disease is, you know, Parkinson's disease, one of the main issues is the depletion of the dopamine creating neurons within the brain. So that you're getting less production of these um, of dopamine from this part of the brain called the substantia nigra, which produces a lot of these neurons clustered together, produce a lot of dopamine. When that kind of depletes and, and gets reduced, obviously you're getting a lot of issues in the brain because dopamine is not just related to mood, but a lot of motor function is dopamine. It's, it's, it's involved in a lot of things. Um, so if you're looking at, okay, if caffeine is somehow involved in how our body, like the receptors for dopamine, if it's increasing receptors for dopamine, then we're getting more dopamine absorbed. So even if you're getting less dopamine produced, there's still a higher absorption rate of dopamine, which is going to benefit the brain in a whole bunch of different areas or benefit the central nervous system in a whole bunch of areas. Now, it's not to say that's exactly what's going on, but it kind of leans into why possibly people that drink a lot of coffee, they think based on the studies that people that drink a lot of coffee will, are having lower rates of Parkinson's disease. But again, we need more and more studies to kind of prove this and consolidate all this information. So, yeah, it's safe in moderate amounts. It has a protective effect. It increases your performance. It helps stay alert and awake. Keep in mind, you can't keep drinking coffee, you know, forever. There's going to be one point where, because like I said, adenosine is not the only thing that's going to make you fall asleep. There's many things that make you fall asleep. So you can only stave off sleepiness to some degree. At one point, once all your energy is depleted, then you don't have the energy to keep going. All this ATP that's being built up, no matter how much you're breaking it down, if there's no more to break down, you're depleted, you're going to need to sleep. So <laughs> you can't just keep drinking coffee for hours and hours. It's, as we all probably have tried, it's not going to work. So in conclusion, every person is different. Go with a dose that works for you. When it comes to sleep, like I said, make sure it's not interfering your sleep. Maybe eight hours before bedtime. If you're someone that's like, whoa, I do two hours, then maybe start working it back. See if you've noticed a change in your sleep. And then when you wake up, try not to have coffee as the first thing when you wake up. See if you can push it an hour, an hour and a half maybe, unless of course you're exercising, in which case it's going to be fine. It's going to be a bit different because you're training your body, you're doing something a bit different, it works differently. And then of course, if you want stronger effects of caffeine, they're a lot more effective on an empty stomach versus when you've eaten because of the way our body metabolizes things. Of course, if it's diluted by food within the gut, it's going to be absorbed at a much slower rate and obviously not as much than if it's on an empty stomach, it's going to be absorbed like straight away in one hit. You're going to feel the effects a lot faster. So if you're someone like me that normally doesn't have their first meal until like 11 o'clock, I probably have had two or at times, <laughs> lol, three coffees before then. And so I definitely feel, you know, I'm, I'm having it on an empty stomach. So I probably have a lot of resistance built up inside my brain for caffeine. Yeah. So tolerance differs. Everyone's different. Do what works for you. But that is caffeine on the brain. And hopefully that's made you interested in caffeine on the brain and how you can use it to your advantage, you know, tweak it, use it more mid-morning, use it as a performance enhancer. And yeah, if you're someone that loves to have three cups of coffee a day, nothing wrong with that. Um, as long as it's not affecting your sleep that is all for today guys thank you so much for listening I love you all so much and a lot of you guys are giving positive feedback on doing these like neuroscience brain facts separate so I can go in a bit of a deeper dive you guys can get more like information about it so thank you for your feedback I really like that also if you listen on Spotify there's the feature that you can actually 
you get a question that says, you know, how did you like this episode? Would you like to leave a comment? And then you can um, respond with something straight away. So then I'm able to look at your responses on an episode by episode basis. And if you had like suggestions and feedback, you can put that in there as well. So that's on Spotify. It's a pretty cool feature. Um, so go check that out if you listen on Spotify. Um, love you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in. And I will speak to you on Wednesday. As always, remember, be kind to yourself. Be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. Danke.